Good afternoon. We are so excited to be here. Uh, as I mentioned, we're 10 at Clarity Houston, and right now we are on deputation to raise support to go to Poland as missionaries. You'll be sharing the gospel there. I actually grew up there as a missionary kid because my parents went over uh, in 1994 to be missionaries. So I was Just the, the huge need for the gospel that was there in Poland. Uh, in Poland, they're very religious, very strong Roman Catholic, and they're seeking out God. They have a burden, a desire to, to meet with God, to see Him, but they're doing it, trusting in their own righteousness, trusting in their own works, and they can achieve somehow merits, or they can receive as. Just gather from themselves, from the saints in history, and that they can use that to get closer to God. So we're wanting to really share the gospel with them so that they can understand it's not about us, it's not about our merit, but it's about God and Jesus Christ and the fact that He died for our sins. So that's why we're going to work with Poland, because Poland is, like I said, very strong in the Catholic, 93%. Claim to be Roman Catholic, and about half of those attend Mass at least once a week. So they're very practicing as well. It's not just in the name only. They're very devout in their religion. And then you have, with such a high number of Catholics, you have very few of anything else. And anything else is considered a cult by the Catholic Church. There's no people keeping them taught. And there's only points to. Percent, even which would be even of any strike. So it's less than a quarter of a percent. And often it's measured, people measure countries as their money. They measure as something that's two percent fewer of even countries. So to take that measure, even if they're Christian, true Christians in Poland multiply by ten times, it would still be considered a money country. So that is how. Why God called us to go back to Poland and we'd love to share more about that in the later later time of questions But that's really what I grew up seeing is there is this great need for the gospel worldwide, but especially in Poland. And I just felt that God had prepared me to go back, and that was kind of how we did that's, That's our order. We love, love to, to, we love to share that. We love, we love to, to um, just help people be aware of the need for the missionaries, the need for just uh, gospel presence. So we would really encourage uh, you to sign up for prayer because we need prayer. The Polish people, the believers need prayer. And like I said, we sign up for Pray for us, we really appreciate it. But we're going to 
we're going out to be missionaries and we're looking for what our plan is and what we're looking at. And so we're trying to consider what are we going to be doing as missionaries. And we're trying to find out what is the key to success for a missionary. If we're looking at and trying to figure out what is going to be the key to success. But before, but before you can answer, answer that, that, you have, you have to have an answer for what is success? What is success for missionary? If you're going out and trying to share the gospel, how can you measure your success? Is it the most sermons preached? If you're really just trying to get God's word out there, can you measure that? Is it, is it the most churches planted? If you go and establish a church, you go and establish a how many do you get? Is that, or is it just most people saved? That's what we're going to do, right? To tell people about Jesus Christ so that they can be saved. Can we measure it by Well, if missions were our work, you might be able to argue for one of those things. But if you look at God's work, you find that missions is not our work, but it's God's work. And so you'll see that in outline of being able to follow our work. Feel that that missions is God's work. Missions is God's work, but He chooses to accomplish it in us. And we'll see that as we look at some of these passages. The first one I want to look to is Matthew chapter 9, verses 36 38. That missions is God's work. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Seeing the people. He felt compassion for them. That is Jesus. Jesus felt compassion for them because they were distressed and dispirited like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, beseech the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. So if you look at that passage, it may be very, very familiar to us. But if we look at that, and we want to look at what is the emphasis of that passage, where is it putting the emphasis? Notice what it doesn't say as well. It doesn't say that there is this great need, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Therefore, go and share the gospel. Tell these people, the workers are few, therefore, go and help you on the it doesn't, doesn't say that. That would be, be a, a, a good, good application of it, but that's, that's not what it says. It puts the emphasis, the passage puts the emphasis entirely on the Lord. Where's the passage put emphasis on the Lord? First, who was it that felt compassion for them? It was Jesus Christ there, the first verse, verse 36. He felt compassion for them. Was the disciples who recognized that was Jesus. And then two, who was, who was it who's supposed, supposed to fulfill the need? Now, in a very real sense of the disciples, he tells them that they're exhorted to pray, but, but he's not saying even pray. There's the need to go. Even there's the need pray that other people will go. He's saying there's the need, therefore pray that God will send workers. And it's his heart. He, the Lord of the harvest, will send workers into his harvest. So the emphasis is entirely on the Lord. 
the fact that he's the one who got the passion first. It's his heart. He's the one who's going to send out. This is God's work. And that's what we're going out is to be. We feel God has called us and sent us out of those labors. But we recognize that it's not about it's not about how graceful we are, what, what, what we're able to do with our and all that. that. It's, it's, it's about God and His faithfulness to accomplish His will to see people saved. Next passage we're going to look at that teaches us is in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 7. So the neither the one plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now, he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own way. For we are God's fellow workers, we are God's few, God's glory. So, just a couple things to note. First, it is God who causes the growth. Not the one who plants, not the one who waters, but it is God who causes the growth. In Jesus' life, when he was teaching in John chapter 6, he says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And you think about that. Jesus, the greatest preacher who ever lived, he himself says that nobody can come to him unless the Father first draws him. So, so he, he could, could not, not go out and win people with the perfect logical argument and have the greatest expositive sermon or best layout presentation and convince people to be saved. God the Father had to draw them so that they could come and understand the So it's not about us and going, it's about God pushing his work because he is faithful. So, so there, there in 1 Corinthians 3, 7, who causes the growth? It's God. God causes the growth. And that's where the emphasis is. And then the second point is that in verse 8, each will receive his own reward. These are the labors of working. But notice that it's not according to the results, but it's according to his own According to the people who are working, it's according to the labor. How they labor, how they work, the way they work. Not based on the results, which ultimately are up to be. And it's how they labor. We're responsible for what we do and how we serve. And then in verse 9, we are God's fellow workers. We're God's fellow workers. We're working together with God. In and God doesn't need Tim and Blair if he wants to sweep you full of your life. If he wanted, he could send out 12 legions of angels to go proclaim the gospel throughout the entire country all at once. They would never have to go to the language school, they would never have to try to understand the culture and the nuances of all the arguments and all that. He could just go and send those angels and they could proclaim it. Easy. Or, or he could call out from the sky himself, like he did for the Apostle Paul. He's done that before. He could do that now. But that's not typically how he chooses to work. He wants us to be fellow leaders with him in accomplishing his will to see people saved. 
If you think of this just as an illustration, you can maybe think of a family with there's a father and he has two kids and he has this burden. He wants to build a swing set for his kids. He wants them to exercise, have some fun. And so he wants to build a swing set for them. And so he could just do it himself. He could hire it out to somebody to do it. But he wants to get them involved with it. Or get them involved with it. So he, so he says, says, okay, hey guys, let's, 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 Mark, Mark right, right there, and there and I'll go back and home. And then there's four year olds. He says, okay, here, I'll hold the boards together right now. Here's the screw. Can you screw it in right there? And then he holds his hand and guides it in. He's working together with them. And he's doing that. He's not frustrated. He's like, oh my God, these kids are so slow. I've done this myself. Forget this. Okay, guys, I'm fired. I'm going to do this myself. I'm going to hire a contractor. That's, That's not, not how he's approaching this. He's, he's looking, looking at, at it's his joy to be able to be working with it. He, he wants that to be part of the work. He wants them to be involved in fulfilling his mission to build this solution. And not every illustration is going to have its imperfection. So it's not a perfect illustration, but we get the picture that it's not that God has the blueprints of what he wants to do. And he needs us to go and do this and do that because he's somehow incapable of doing it himself. He could, but he chooses to get us involved because that is one of the ways that we glorify him. By recognizing that this burden, telling people about Jesus Christ, is worthy of our time. Telling people about God's faithfulness, about His love, is worthy of anything He wants to do. Because God is worthy of worship. God is worthy that He deserves our faithfulness. So God has a great interest to see people saved, to pour out His mercy on He has a great mission. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, we read, God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and have come to the knowledge of the truth. He will accomplish this mission because he is He has a desire and burden to see people saved. And he's faithful and he will accomplish that. So, that is what God is doing when he has this mission. So, what are we supposed to do? How do you come into this? So if so you turn over next to pages, first Corinthians chapter 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. First Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy or faithful. That he is worthy of trust. If you can put your trust in him, because you know that he's trustworthy, he's a faithful worker, 
So he, here he talks about um, stewards of the mysteries of God. And who are those stewards of the mysteries of God? Certainly, this applies to people who are in full-time Christian service. So Pastor Tim, Pastor Andrew, Oscar, Nicole, this applies to us. We're going to be stewards of the mysteries of God. Telling people about this, but, but who does this apply to? It's not just people in full time ministry. It is everyone who is a steward of the mysteries of God. And if you are a believer, you too are a steward of the mysteries of God. And we find that in Jesus' teaching, he was um, telling his disciples, To you, it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. But to them, as the Pharisees at the time, those who do not believe, it is not unbearable. So the mystery of the kingdom of heaven is not granted to those who do not believe, but it was granted to those who don't trust and they believe. So if you are a believer who trusts in Jesus Christ, you are a steward of the mysteries of God. And what, and what is required there in the first? What is required to that one will come out and trust God? We are to be trustworthy and faithful with that stewardship, with that responsibility. But what, is, what, is, what does that look like? What does it look like to be trustworthy and faithful with um, our own stewardship, with what's with the mysteries of God. What is this? And you, you can have a whole sermon series on all the Bibles to say about faithfulness and being a faithful steward towards God. And I'm not going to try to cover the topic entirely, but I want to make uh, two points and point out two aspects of that. First, faithfulness looks different for different students. Faithfulness looks different for different students. There are there certain things, things that apply to all believers. We're all supposed to be developing the fruits of the Spirit. We're all supposed to be growing in Christ's likeness. Everyone's supposed to be praying, giving, going, whether that's across the world or across the street. We're supposed to be taking the gospel and sharing it. Those apply to everyone. But there are people in different specific roles, in different specific situations. There are teens. Adults, older people, they, they have different responsibilities. Not everyone is called to spend a significant amount of time maybe preparing a sermon or studying a new language. But if I would say Pastor Tim is preaching on Sunday and he neglects to spend time preparing a sermon, and so when he comes up and she's trying to you know, you know and it, and he hasn't really taken time to pray and think through it, to try to express God's thoughts. That would be, that would not be faithless. But if somebody who's sitting in a pew and they're not a preacher, they're not the one presenting, just because they didn't hear a sermon like that, that doesn't mean they were faithful. So we have different roles. And it looks different for different people. For you, faithless being involved, Overcoming fear of rejection and talking with a co-worker about the gospel, even if that means that they're uncomfortable. It may involve saying no to a supervisor 
if he asks you to, like, fudge on the numbers a little bit, it's not really illegal, it's just kind of, it's a little unethical to say no to that, even if, even if it costs you, and you have to have consequences, even if you lose your job, that may be part of being faithful for you to say no and to hold to being ethical. It may involve taking a day off work to care for an only member in your, in your church in congregation. It may involve going out of your way to check on someone who you know has been struggling with uh, discouragement and loneliness. What, whatever situations you have, I get my point, is that they all have different, different places in life, stages in life, and different responsibilities and opportunities. So faithfulness will look different for different students, and we have to examine our own situation and prayerfully rely on the Spirit to help guide you and help show you what you are going to do. So faithfulness looks different for different students, and then secondly, faithfulness is all-encompassing. Faithfulness is all-encompassing. It impacts every part of your life. The whole shebang. You can't just say, okay, I'm going, I'm going to be faithful today and check out the box and, and say, okay, well, I've got, got that this week, I'm going to take care of that again next week. So, so I got, got it, we're good, good, move on, on. get the next thing I'll check out. That's not how it looks Philippians 3 says that our citizenship is in heaven. And being faithful means not just something to check out the box that we do and everything else we do, but it is our whole part living. It's every aspect of our life, and it touches all of that. So when we look at our reasons for living, what we're doing, our trying to just live the American dream, but just Christianizing it, faithfulness is, is not a side It's not something you can just add on to everything else. You can't think that you can go and Pursue an American dream, desire a nice house or nice apartment, a nice job, and then and just say, okay, I'm just going to put faithfulness on the side where it's convenient where it fits. That's not what faithfulness looks like. It's a mindset. In Colossians 3, therefore, if you've been raised with Christ, seek things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your affection, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. We're supposed to be seeking the things that are above as Christians, as believers. Setting your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus emphasizes this again and again. He says, Do not worry then, saying, What shall we eat, what shall we drink, and what will we wear for clothing? Those are really necessities. Eating and drinking and having clothing. Those are really necessities. He says, Don't worry about that. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. But don't worry about that. For your heavenly Father knows what you need. All things. He knows all things that you need. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Then he says to them, Beware that you be on guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life exist as possessions. 
Do not store yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break through your seal. For where So the, so the point, point he's making is that this is something that involves your entire everything you do. Sexual affection comes above sexual mind in his kingdom, and God will help you and take care of your things. And if you have that right, he will he will help you and provide for you. If you're living in this world, they mean that you have a nice or they mean that you have a car, maybe you have an apartment, or maybe you have a home. Probably you know some of those things because those are part of life. Maybe you know that you have a nice car, or a nice car, a nice job. Because God is the Bible says that God likes to give you good gifts to His children. But if your goal in life is to have a nice income, a comfortable apartment, a nice home, that's, that's your goal. goal. That's, that's where your affections are. That's where you're setting your mind. Then that's where your heart is. If you've, if you've ever said, said I, I could never, never that might be a sign that that is something to trigger. I could never share the gospel with my friends that I can hang out with on Saturday. Because what if they didn't want to talk to me? Are you, Are you treasuring your, your friend group more than, than sharing your risks, more than being a faithful You're saying, I could, I could never ask for Sundays off because what if, what if my boss didn't give me that promotion? What if he fired me? Are you treasuring your job anything more than faithful attendance to So, what does this mean for you? Is God's word for the lost Are you faithfully serving Him through praying, through giving, through going, and let the cross flow across the street? And if you are a human, you will certainly will not be perfectly practicing faithfulness and not perfectly trustworthy as we call to be. Most likely, I have that In fact, I can say I guarantee we will not be But God knows that in His grace. And we can pray and ask Him that He will help us be more faithful, be more reliant on Him. But then we will fail to pray faithfully to help Him make us more faithful so that we can be more So then we will ask Him to help us and forgive us for not being faithful in prayer. And so it goes. We can never get to a point where we've got faith in off and say, okay, okay, I'm good. good. Because, because it doesn't look like that. I've been constantly reminded that we need to run back again and again to God for His grace and His help. Because He is faithful. He does not fail. We will fail. He will come and keep running to Him and ask Him for goodness and for help. And He will so, so if we circle back to our first question, what is success for a missionary? 
and we and looked at that, that it's, it's, it's not on It's not on people who have our service. But it is exactly what we need It's faith. And it's reflecting God's faith. As he has been faithful, we want to be faithful. Faithful stewards in sharing the gospel. Success in that sense would be faithfulness in being faithful. When Paul looks back at the end of his life, he writes to Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. He didn't look back and reflect at all the people who have led to salvation, all the people who had been blessed and changed by his ministry. And if anybody could have looked back on that and taken confidence in that, it would have been the Apostle Paul, surely. He was the most influential person in the first century who was God was using to share the gospel. But he doesn't say it. He doesn't look back and say, I know that God will accept me or God's pleased with my work. Because look at what has happened. All these things that God has done under me. No. He looks back and says, I thought the good God. I finished my course. I've been faithful to this calling that God has given me. And so when we look at that, faithfulness, and that, and that is what a missionary or a It's no different than any Christian. Faithfulness to whatever you've been called to do and reflecting that, reflecting God's faithfulness in whatever way you can, in the best way you can. And in a very, very, this is very, very humbling. It's very humbling because we know that we will never be perfectly faithful. It's humbling because we will never be perfect. This is a constant reminder that all of us we will never get to a point where we can be perfect. But in, a, in another sense, it is also very free. It's free because we know that God is And though I will fail, He will not. And ultimately, this is His mission first. And He will not fail to accomplish His mission. And I cannot mess up God's plan by myself. But I want to be a faithful steward in God. So it's very humbling that we know we'll never be perfect. But it's very humbling because we know that He is faithful. And He will see His mission. And let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us all here to be faithful fellow workers with you in accomplishing your will to see people saved.